Welcome to another edition of Hidden Layers Podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. We're lucky and excited today to have Zach Rogers on the program this week. Uh, For those of you in the advertising and marketing industry, Zach should need no introduction. But for posterity, here's a little background uh, right up on him. So Zach is the executive editor of Ad Exchanger, and he runs Ad Exchanger's editorial operations and supports program- programming strategy for Ad Exchanger's programmatic I.O. conferences. They just had one in uh, San Francisco, and the industry preview event also. It, under his leadership, the publication has rec- been recognized with a Jesse H. Neal Award in the category of Best Media Brand in 2016 and two regional ASBI Awards for Best Technical Article in 2017. He was previously the managing director, sorry, the managing editor at Clixi, and his work has also been published in The Guardian and Mashable. He's also the host of Ad Exchanger Talk, a podcast featuring key leaders in the media, marketing, and advertising technology arena. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a guest on it, and uh, I am excited to do a little role reversal today. I get to interview the interviewer, uh, so so to speak. So welcome, Zach. Really excited to have you on the program. Oh, my God. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> that was a very nice very nice introduction. Thank you so much. I need to update that. Actually, we won a SEPA award as well for the best podcast. Uh, I, I will not so humbly share that here. And uh, it's funny, like the thing about podcasting and the podcasting world is people go on each other's podcasts. And so I guess this is my first time doing this, going on someone else's podcast. So thank you, Jeremy, for having me on. Well, I think I think uh, you're a pretty popular guy, so uh, uh, I think people will be really interested in hearing a little bit of the uh, behind the scenes of what you do, because I know everyone in the industry reads Ad Exchanger fervently, and uh, and I think they'd be interested in, in hearing some of these these answers to these questions with that lined up for you. So, well, yeah, off, glad to share. Yeah, yeah, great. So, so to start off, you know. <laughs> I think I think the question that you probably get asked a lot uh, is what is it like covering an industry like ours? Something you know, something that changes every six months, and some would say even three months, everything's changing. So what's what's it like? <laughs> uh, yeah, with that kind of just constant transformation. Yeah, right. Well, I think it used to be every three months, and now it's every six months, and maybe it'll be every nine months, if we give it a few more years, things are, the pace of change, I think, is slowly decelerating, although lucky for us, um, there's still a lot of chaos, uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which, you know, creates a need for clear information, unbiased reporting, and uh, that's what we try to provide. Uh, In terms of what it's like to do what we do, I, I imagine it's not super different from, like, any journalistic organization where, you know, we're not experts or practitioners in marketing, media, ad tech. Um, you know, we we rely on people who are to inform our reporting, and so it's a, it's a game of good sourcing. You have to have, uh, you know, intelligent, well-informed people talking to you on a regular basis to get the story. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got 
seven reporters and editors, um, not including myself, who are out there creating all that content and building those relationships, which are ultimately our stock and trade. So, I mean, it's, it continues to be exciting. I personally have been covering this industry for um, a very long time, almost 20 years. Um, and, you know, um, it's interesting. When I started out, I was writing about search and later, but actually email, later search, um, and that was replaced by the kind of exploding world of paid media, initially display, followed by video, and then this programmatic trend came up as sort of the next key development. And, of course, there are, were more waves of innovation after that. So, it, you know, the, the cycles of change do not seem to wear themselves out, even though we're now, like, you know, 25 years into this sort of digital uh, story. Um, so, you know, extremely exhilarating. And every week we have editorial planning meetings that are full of new information and opportunities to extend our coverage. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge for Ad Exchanger right now is, you know, we, we compete with incumbent trade publications and information services companies that are decades old. Um, you know, in, in, you know, in, in one case, 80 years old, um, you know, uh, I think that's about how old ad age is. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm wrong on that. I should, I should fact check before I share that, but, um, ad week is probably 40 years old. We're 11 years old and, uh, you know, and so, you know, we're still, I would say emerging, even though a decade, you know, it's nothing to be, um, ashamed of. And, uh, you know, I think the big challenge for us next is jumping from the world of digital media display mobile video into more of an omni-channel approach to this industry. Um, and that includes, you know, things like out of home and television and um, channels we don't usually think of as being programmatic or tech enabled. I think they are becoming more tech enabled and we want to be there to cover it. Um, intelligently. So that's something we're, we're thinking about now. Um, and, uh, you know, I would just say I hope that the rapid change continues to accelerate for job security reasons. Um, <laughs> so, so what, you know, you mentioned your weekly editorial meetings. What in the last couple of editorial meetings, what's the biggest Topic that you're that you're like shouting at your reporters to go on get more information on. You know what? It, what are they saying to you? That's hey, this thing's coming down the pike. We really need to to pay attention to that. Yeah, right. Well, it's a little bit of a dull answer, but I think the big one right now is just the various headwinds for data collection, audience buying, ad targeting, measurement, as we have known them. Yeah. Up until up until now, and we see that those headwinds playing out in a few different ways. One, uh, you know, one that's been in the news recently is just changes to browser policies around data collection. You know, we've seen Safari and Firefox both restrict cookie data collection, and you know, you know, we expected that Chrome might do the same. In fact, Chrome did something less restrictive. Um, and uh, and yet still, you know, the writing is a, a, to some extent on the wall for cookies and other forms of data collection 
fingerprinting technologies in browsers. And then you also have sort of ongoing restrictions imposed by walled gardens. Uh, and then you have new privacy laws um, that are either in the books or going to be in the books soon. And so I think all of this adds up to a lot of uncertainty around, you know, what are going to be the reliable sources of data, identity data, uh, intent data, any kind of data that you historically have had, had access to in the media and advertising equation. I just think the rules are changing steadily and the future is uncertain there. So that's, that's I mean, if I had to give one answer to your question, that would be it. Um, and then, but I think that there are other very important big stories that are emerging um, that we're very focused on. You know, another kind of big macro one is just what's happening in the television industry. Um, it's changing. And, uh, you know, the traditional rules of, you know, buying media and measuring media are, I mean, they're, they're being thrown out the window as we speak. It's a very dynamic Space and really, a jump, unlike digital media, it's really a jump ball in terms of who's going to capture the marketing dollars and the, you know, the the consumer activity. Um, so I think, or even whether advertising is going to be of central importance. So I mean, you've got to talk about an area that's exciting to cover. That one is over the next five to ten years. Literally, everything is up for grabs. Yeah, so let's let's uh, switch a little bit to uh, programmatic I/O. Uh, that event has in New York. It's been huge for a couple of years, and I think in San Francisco this year it was really also a really big uh, draw. Um, we I was I was there. I was excited to see how much AI content was on the calendar on the agenda. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Um, as as you help program these things, what are your thoughts on AI? Uh, you know, I, I sort of feel AI is ebbing and flowing a little bit up and down right now. Um, it's it seems to have it was a big buzz. I don't think it's become no buzz. I think it's sort of plateaued from a buzz perspective. Um, and it was it was good to see so many companies wanting to talk about AI uh, at programmatic I/O. So what are your thoughts on AI in our industry? Um, right. You know, especially <clears throat> yeah. because, of course, cognitive cognitive has been talking about it for, for almost yeah, three and a half I, years now. <laughs> yes, you, yes, you have, and uh, kudos to you for that. Um, I mean, I, um, I, I have to just preface all this by saying I'm, I'm the furthest thing from an expert on AI, uh, even though I've covered it. Um, but AI and machine learning are, uh, you know, you know, terms of, of art that mean specific things to practitioners who deploy them, who research uh, AI and who benefit from AI. And, you know, I, we covered it. Um, it's an, I think at exchange's position, my, my feeling is that they are real technologies that represent an important part of the future of marketing industry. Um, and, you know, there is, um, there's a pro an inherent problem in covering AI from a news standpoint and a conference standpoint in that, um, you know, AI and machine learning, those terms as terms are often used as kind of cover for marketing cover for businesses that are looking for new customers. Um, some, sometimes marketing cover for 
unethical business practices um, as we've seen in the past. So it's a, you know, it, it can be confusing. Um, and I think there was, there, there were some companies, you know, that really focused their marketing messaging, their sales around the term AI and going back now, you know, four five, six years. Um, and I think it really did harm to the, to AI as a, as a term and a, a concept. Now that said, I think there, even during that period when people stopped, there was, there were scandals, people stopped. I'm not naming the company, but I think many of your listeners will know what company I'm talking about. Many people stopped using that term, um, uh, because it would be, become affiliated with sort of some of this below the level activity. But even as people sort of veered away from using the term as much, I think it advanced as a discipline in this industry. As more data came into play, uh, both marketers owned data and data that was available through media companies and platforms, the bid stream. And um, I think as that data became available, it became easier and more uh, exciting to use it to train algorithms and to ultimately achieve more effectiveness uh, in in the ad campaigns. So, um, you know, I think the benefits people know, and I'm still learning myself what the best use cases are for machine learning and AI, but um, it seems like some of them are things like, you know, dynamic pricing, uh, which is, you know, the idea not just of like training an algorithm to identify audiences or likely converters, but also to value individual prospects, you know, according to their, whether they're likely to convert soon, whether there's a sense of urgency around the purchase that they might make, or what their likely order value might be, or their lifetime customer value might be, you know, every bid request should not trigger the same, you know, bid price. So using AI to like set dynamic pricing, I think that sounds like that's an exciting use case that I think has, has gained in, has become more common, a more common like bid activity. And then, um, I think things like filtering out bad traffic uh, sort of and like fraudulent traffic, duplicate bid requests, things you just don't want to look at. AI may be, you know, from what I understand, it's playing a bigger role there. Um, and of course, by filtering out the bad traffic, you're improving the value of AI because you're only training it on the stuff that really matters to you. Um, so I, I feel like the, these types of use cases for AI have, have made steady advances. And I think we're, we're seeing more, you, I know you've talked about custom algorithms and custom logic. That's certainly uh, an opportunity that's growing. Um, and then of course, AI outside of advertising, like, okay, there's a lot more data in, you know, advertising, but there's like a big marketing funnel out there with so many user touch points. Um, and I think getting away from just strict paid media uses of AI and machine learning are, is, is going to be an important development going forward. Um, and then, you know, there, there seem to be, and again, Jeremy, you're, you know so much more than I do on these things, but there seems to be some serious risks 
associated with overuse of AI to me. Um, and, you know, you mentioned programmatic IO. And we had a speaker talking a little bit about um, the negatives um, on, on third-party, using third-party data and AI or over-relying on it. Um, and one thing he spoke about was, like, AI can, if you're not careful, if you're not training it on the right outcomes, you can essentially, essentially, you know, end up with a situation where the AI identifies all the people who are most likely to convert anyway. So, you, you know, people who were going to become your customers, AI finds them before they become your customers, and you use that information, that knowledge to serve them an ad. Well, that's wasted spend because they were on their way in anyway. Um, and, you know, you could argue that, you know, you're just – there's still value in reaching those people. Yeah, of course there is. But um, I, I think one mistake a lot of marketers have made is thinking that AI is showing them a, a, you know, a much wider set of potential customers uh, than what they were going to reach uh, you know, without the AI. And in fact, it might be showing them an only slightly larger potential set uh, because it's showing them a lot of a lot of existing customers or people who are inbound. Anyway, I won't belabor that point, but it does yeah. seem like people need to, need to wrap their heads around that inherent risk with the technology. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point because uh, out of all of the clients that we have on the platform, a Cognitive platform today, I, less than, I would say, 10% of them actually care about incremental lift marketing which is what you're really talking about. It's like, how yeah. do we find people who weren't already going to convert? And that for us has been um, our most successful application. Um, all of our performance type capabilities have been great, but when we've done it in a way that is trying to predict incrementality, it's just been such an, an, a, sort of a magical, amazing thing to watch. Uh, that only really a machine learning capability like deep learning has been shown in our experience to be able to do at scale consistently, et cetera. So uh, totally agree mm -hmm. on that point. I think the question is, you know, how long is it going to take for marketers to get away from things like last touch attribution and, and really focus on right. um, spending their money correctly and, and efficiently, efficiently where, you know, we see actually, we see a lot of that more, more now, and um, maybe we can talk about uh, this topic a little bit. We see a lot more of those questions being asked by uh, in-house uh, marketing teams at the brand itself now that mm. they've started to in-house their programmatic buying teams. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that topic. We skip around a little. And, and what have you been uh, uh, hearing in, in coverage and editorial meetings about this in-housing um, trend, you know, Mighty Hive is helping do it. Perhaps the consulting is helping do it. Um, you know, people, if you go to the ANA, uh, uh, surprisingly, when you go to the ANA, in my opinion, like almost every brand that gets up on stage talks about thinking about in-housing and, and, and going, going yeah. away from an agency programmatic team. Like what, what are you, what are you thinking and seeing on that? Yeah. I, it's a, it's a hugely important trend. Um, the term in-housing might be <clears throat> slightly overplayed at this point. I was just speaking with somebody at a marketing organization who was complaining a little bit about overuse of that term. 
her feeling was that it should be called something like the modern marketing organization in the sense that many companies now have already brought substantial parts of their media activities in-house. Uh, once they do that, it's just, they're no longer in-housing. This is just how they're running things. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know it's, um, it completely intuitively makes sense that marketers need, need to have a handle on their data and they need to have more security around it. That's why they're doing it. Um, and I think it's a positive trend for the industry. And uh, I think often it fails. Uh, and I think we're seeing a lower failure rates now than we were two, three years ago. Um, uh, you know, just in the sense that there are increasingly there are best practices out there now. If you are bringing it in-house, there's more sources of information on how to do it well. And there's more people in senior roles in organizations who have digital knowledge and have, well, I'll put it this way, more in-housing teams have uh, have internal cover in the form of a more senior executive who's protecting their initiative and protecting them from sort of some of the political squabbling that can arise uh, and little fiefdoms that can uh, occur inside of an organization. So politics is, is one reason these things can fail. And, um, you know, so if you have somebody uh, like 